great to be here again. Uh, how, how many, they've probably asked you this millions of times, but how many of you are here at the New Year IHOP conference for the first time? Just put your hand up. All right, quite a few. So just so I get it the other way, how many have been before? All right, so yeah, it's about, yeah, good number. Both ways, 50-50. So uh, I'm from uh, England, uh, a town just outside of Watford, just outside of London called Watford. There isn't really a town just outside of Watford. Uh, there's kind of countryside outside of Watford. And uh, I just want to really talk a little bit this morning uh, about what it means uh, to obey uh, the greatest commandment. I want to talk about, about worship. Uh, God created the human race. God created uh, us for relationship with himself. That's obvious from the story of, the, of, of Adam and Eve. When God uh, made Adam and Eve, when he breathed, when he breathed life into Adam. I always imagine uh, that moment. Uh, I've kind of in the past have imagined it as, as you know, there's, there's Adam, his lifeless body on the ground. And, uh, and there's the Lord taking uh, a, a kind of a big tube. There he is. He's, his feet are on earth. Um, his waist is around Mars. Uh, his shoulders are at Jupiter, and he takes a big tube, aims it at Adam's nostrils, and blows. And suddenly life comes into Adam. You know, someone pointed this out to me, a friend of mine, uh, a few months ago. The Bible gives us the clearest indications that actually what God did, it was as if he knelt down and he came very close to Adam's mouth. And he gave him the kiss of life. That's how he breathed life into Adam. Because God is a God of relationship. And he makes us for relationship. And he created us for friendship with himself. But of course the story goes that we chose independence. We chose to live a life for ourselves. We chose to live in selfishness instead of in relationship with him. And uh, the the story throughout the Old Testament, in fact, the story throughout the history of the world is the Lord our God pursuing a people, pursuing a people that he can have relationship with, pursuing a people he can have friendship with. And that's what worship is all about. Worship is bringing him his worth, is extolling him, but it's really at heart, it's about relationship. Uh, The Greek word that's most often used in the New Testament for worship and indeed in the Greek version of the Old Testament that's translated worship is the Greek word proskunio. And proskunio literally means to come towards, to kiss. It speaks of bowing down, it speaks of reverence, it speaks of awe, but it also speaks of intimacy. And it's not the uh, the kiss uh, of equals, It it, it was used in the first century in the secular world to speak of a dog or a hound licking its master's hand. It would speak of a servant bowing below and kissing the garment of his or her master. It's reverence and it's awe. The greatest commandment that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, is that we love him with all that we have and all that we are, that we love him completely. There are so many examples of this throughout the scripture. I just really want to look at one. It's a well-known one. One day, a, a sinful woman 
which may have been a euphemism even for a prostitute. Her name was Mary Magdalene. She came and she broke an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume. The perfume was worth a year's wages. Now, I don't know, in America, your year's wages are a little more than our year's wages. What would it be here, a year's wages? About $50,000? Is that about right? Say say 50... Guys, that's $50,000 worth of smell all over Jesus. One shower and it was gone. Kind of, what a waste. What a complete waste. That's what the disciples thought. Particularly, that's what Judas thought. But do you know what the scripture tells us? There's a little line there that says, The fragrance of the perfume filled the room. And the fragrance of the perfume of a life that is poured out for God fills any room that it comes into contact with. Now, I became a youth pastor at an Anglican church in a little village just outside London, near Watford, uh, some years ago. And when they asked me, when the the vicar, the, the pastor of the church, asked me to be the youth pastor, I said yes, gave up my job, and uh, immediately felt very important. And uh, as soon as I started, I would run around doing very important things in a very important way. And there was one Sunday morning before the service on the Sunday morning at church, I was moving very fast with my list of important things to do. And as I was walking along the church, along the side, just like that, there was this elderly lady called Hilda Batchelor. She's now with the Lord. But she was, she was sitting in, in, in the pew on the right-hand side. And she would come in with a Zimmer frame. No, you don't call it Zimmer frame, do you? With a walker? Yeah, with one of those. You know, and she would put it to the side and sit down. And I was running past her, doing some very important things for the Lord and his people. And as I went past, Hilda said, Mike, have you just got a moment? And immediately my heart sank. Because I thought, oh no, Hilda, I'm doing important things. I have to serve the Lord and his people. Do I have a moment? Does the man of God have a moment? And then I thought one of the important things that as a pastor in the church I'm meant to do is to spend a little time with the elderly, even though I'm a youth pastor. So I said, okay, Hilda, I just have a moment but I can't spend longer than a moment because I've got some very important things to do. And then Hilda tapped the, the pew next to her and she said, come and sit next to me. And I thought, oh no, it's going to be a come sit next to me conversation. So I sat next to her. She looked at me and she said, Mike, isn't Jesus wonderful? Don't you just love him? Isn't it so good just to be in his presence? And then she said, Mike, if ever you're passing my house, just come round the back. The back door's always unlocked. Just come in and we can worship Jesus together. And we can pray to him together. Isn't he wonderful? Mike, don't you love him? As she said that, I suddenly thought, oh no, I'm not a Christian. 
I felt ashamed of myself. And it suddenly hit me. There was I running around, being important and doing important things. But she had chosen something much better. And you know what? There was an aroma around Hilda. She had a smell. And the smell wasn't the perfume and it wasn't from her age. It was, it was the aroma of Jesus. There was something about Hilda Batchelor that, you know, you actually wanted to hang out with her because she just, she spent so much time with him that you, you knew that they were very close. And you know, that's the challenge for many of us. I was really challenged the other day when Mike uh, was speaking about the, 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 the virgins with the, with the lamps and the oil. And uh, I love coming here. I think this is my fifth time in six years. And, uh, I, but I also hate coming here. I, I love coming here because I love the people and, and, and all of that. But I hate coming here. Kind of it's a love-hate because it's like coming here, I don't know about you, but every time I come here, I leave thinking, oh, I'm, I need to give my life to Jesus again. <laughs> Do you feel like that? It's like, you know, you sit here and it's like, oh, no, I thought I was a Christian till I came here. <gasps> oh, no, it's like everyone prays and reads their Bible and just is so humble and so, oh, I hate them. You know, and it's, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, it's like, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else because that's the challenge. And once again, I, this year, I forgot again. I, I, I'm standing here and I'm telling you, I forgot again. I, I've, I've been, I've been, I, I could tell you about some incredibly important things I've done this year. Oh, oh, all over the world. Running hither and thither in an important way. And I'm just in the midst of writing a very important book. And then I thought, well, I'll just pop in. And I popped in here, sat over there. And there was Bickle. Some of us here. There are some people here. You have ministries, you have lamps. But you're so busy. With your lamp, with your ministry. I never liked him. <laughs> but you know, I don't know about you, but I want the challenge. I need the challenge. Because I'm desperate that if I ever manage to get to Hilda's age and, and it's suddenly not that far away, I, want, I, want to, I long to have something of her aroma. I want to have something of that smell. The smell that comes from extravagant worship. The smell that comes from spending loads and loads and loads of time with Him in His presence. Whether we're in a meeting or out of a meeting. Whether we're in His presence as we sing the songs of heaven. Or whether we're in His presence as we feed the hungry. And pray for the sick. And proclaim the gospel. Because actually it's all meant to be worship. And so there's 
Hilda, just like Mary. I've met a few people like that over the years. And uh, one of the messages that comes from this conference every year is the call of God and the longing of God that we would enter in extravagantly, that we would pour it all out, that we wouldn't count, oh, how much is this costing? How much is this? You know, some, some people may say, hey, this conference, what a waste of all that time in worship. Why couldn't we be doing something useful? There's nothing more useful. There's nothing more useful than spending time in his presence. Because you know what, guys? If we don't, when we go out, all people touch is us. And folks, us isn't good enough. Us isn't enough. If all people touch is me, they're in big trouble. We long, we long that they touch Jesus, his treasure in our jars of clay. Well, what about evangelism? We were left with the Great Commission. If we spend all our time singing songs and hanging out with God, and we're going to have heaven to do that. Here on earth, it's time. It's time to tell people of Jesus. Of course it is. Of course it is. These are the days for mission. These are the days for proclaiming him in words, works, and signs and wonders. We are called to a ministry. But you know what? If we simply go out and speak disembodied words that do not come from lives and hearts that are on fire, it'll just be ugly. God does not call us to throw Bible bombs at people from a safe distance and hope and hope that one explodes in the vicinity. He calls us to, to bring the life of Jesus, to carry the life of Jesus, to carry the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us, the presence of God. Do you know, throughout the Scriptures, with my friend Andrew, we've just been doing a study on the presence of God through the Scripture. And do you know, everywhere, it's everywhere, you know, the, the thing that Adam and Eve lost when they took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost his presence. When, when God walked in the garden in the noon of the cool of the noonday, they hid from his presence. You know, when, when Moses meets the Lord at the burning bush and the Lord commissions him, the Lord commissions him to, to go back to Egypt and to lead the people out of their captivity. What does Moses say? Amongst other things, he says, but who am I that I should go? I am not eloquent. I am not good enough. And you know, I, I don't know exactly what Moses' motivation was, but sometimes, you know, when I'm about to do something I've, I've, I've not done before, I'll say to people, you know, before I spoke here, I wanted to say to people, oh, but who am I? that I should speak here. I am but a worm. I am but a nothing. Who am I? And if I say that to any of you, that's because I'm longing for you to say something like, oh, Mike, come on. You're all right, really. Oh, I, oh come on, Mike. You're, you're quite good looking. You really know how, you know, you're, you're hip and trendy for someone of your age. What do I mean, who are you? You're, you're, you're very important. You do very important things. Do you know when Moses asked, who am I? Do you know how the Lord answered him? 
the Lord said, I will go with you. If I had been Moses, I may have been tempted to say, oh, thank you, Lord, that's very nice. Really nice to know you'll go, that's very nice. But actually, um, that's not the answer to the question. Uh, If I may repeat the question, rephrase it in another way, who am I that I should go? Do you know the only answer the Lord gave him was, I will go with you? Because you see, Moses was asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, who am I? He should have been asking, who are you? Who are you? You're the God who goes with me. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God is with you. Moses learnt the lesson by the end in Exodus 33. When the people of Israel had messed up again and at one point the Lord was saying, do you know what? I said you could lead them into the promised land. Okay, off you go. But I don't think I'm going to go. I think if I go with you into the promised land, I may in my anger destroy the people. So I think I'll stay in the desert. Do you know how Moses responds? If your presence does not go with us, we will not go up from here. For what else will distinguish me and your people from all the peoples on the face of the earth except that your presence goes with us? Moses got it. Do you know, I've traveled in a very important way all over the world. And I've looked, I've looked at, done a study of Christians and non-Christians in every continent and in many countries. And here are my conclusions. On balance, Christians are not better looking than non-Christians. Christians are not on balance more intelligent than non-Christians. We're not more articulate or eloquent. We're not better dressed, although some of us might be. We're not, we're not funnier. Do you know the only thing that distinguishes us is that we are the people of his presence. It's the only thing that's meant to distinguish us. We go in weakness, but we go with his treasure in our jars of clay. That's why we worship. Because you see, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Lord lives in his people's praise and worship. And we long for his presence for us to satisfy our longings out of obedience for him. But also so that when we go out, we have something that we carry with us. And you know, I'm convinced after years of working with, with young people uh, that, you know, evan- you know everyone's, everyone's into the gimmicks now. There's all the gimmicks of if we do this and if we have that and if we flash these lights and if we color our hair this color and if we listen to do play this music and yeah you know, and that, lots of that is good although I'm of the age where I, I I still feel that maybe Simon and Garfunkel is more cutting edge than most but uh, thank you there are other elderly here as well. <laughs> 
But you know, there's a point to that. And I'm not saying, oh, let's make, let's make our meetings with young people really boring. Let's, let's, let's have drafty halls and not have air conditioning and let's have boring music and let's have boring talks. I'm not saying that, but you know, that's not going to do it. Because do you know what? If we did manage to entertain anyone into the kingdom of God, we'd have to entertain them to keep them in the kingdom of God. And you know, I believe with all my heart, biblically, but also practically, because I've seen it, worship is the best evangelistic tool we have. We started a festival in England called Soul Survivor a number of years ago. And uh, <coughs> I remember that I think it was the first or second year we did the festival. Uh, we had, um, uh, it was the first evening of that conference. And my friend, Matt Redman, was leading worship, and I was standing on the side of the stage waiting for him to finish so I could go on and do the important bit. And uh, as I was standing on the side of the stage, this guy came up to me, and he put something in my hands, and he said, can you throw it away? I don't want it anymore. And I looked at it, and it was a knife. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's he doing? It wasn't the sort of knife you peel potatoes with. And then later on, in that same evening, the very first meeting, another lad came up to me. And he gave me a knuckle duster, which I think you call brass knuckles. Yeah, which you, you know, you put on and leaves a mark. And he gave it to me and he said, can, can you throw this away? I don't want to use it anymore. And I thought, this is bizarre. Then later on in that time of worship, it was a very long time of worship. Another guy came up to me and he was in tears. And he said, can you throw these away? He gave me these little packets and he said, can you throw them away? I don't want to use them anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And I looked at the packets and I thought, oh my goodness, they must be drugs. So I I put them in my pocket as well. Now, now you know I didn't mean it like that, don't you? So I put them in my pocket, and then when that finished, I spoke. And at the end of the meeting, I went back, and I went back to the team room with Matt. And when we got back to the team room, I took the packets out of my pocket, and I said to Matt, and I emphasized this for the camera, I said to Matt, for a joke, I said to Matt, hey, Matt, We can have a smoke of these later on. (laughs) Matt looked at the packets and he looked at me and he said, I can't wait to see you try and smoke those, Mike. They're condoms. Single, innocent, Christian youth pastor. I didn't even know what they were. But the point of the story is this. There is a point to this story. And this is the point. The point of the story is this. What made them... um, Hello. That's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. Excuse me. So it's only water. So, <laughs> joked. It's a little joke. <laughs> it's not really funny. 
Um, thanks, mate. The point of the story is this. It was our first meeting. We hadn't even had the sermon yet. I hadn't had a chance to get up and to look prophetically at everyone. And to say, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, then you do not stab people. You do not leave marks on their faces. And you do not have sex outside of marriage. I hadn't done any of that yet. I thought, what were they doing? That was before the sermon. And then I went and I looked at the songs that we sang. And we didn't sing any songs that said, I will offer up my life and my condoms. What was going on that night? I'll tell you what was going on. As we worshipped Jesus, as we, <coughs> as we worshipped the Father, the Holy Spirit was moving all over that tent. And he was doing what the Holy Spirit always does. He was convicting people of their guilt in regard to sin, righteousness and judgment. And people were coming to the Lord like ripe fruit falling from a tree because they knew they were in his presence. Just a couple of years later on, we had, we had another group came. I'm going to speed up. We had another group came to our festival. And they were a whole group of non-Christians. I don't know if they got the wrong camp. They maybe thought they were at a secular camp and they were there by mistake. But someone noticed, one of our ushers noticed that they were with, they had drugs. And we were like, what do we do? Do we throw them out? And then we thought, no, we'll just let them be and see what happens and hope that they don't try and sell their drugs to any of the Christian kids. <laughs> do you know, that first meeting, they came along. They made some friends with some young Christian kids. They started coming to the meetings as the week progressed. On the second to last day, they asked to speak to me. Our festivals in England are on some fields in the west of England, in a county called Somerset. And uh, they asked to speak to me. We went and sat on the grass outside the big tent. And they said, we want to tell you what we've just done. This morning, we went into one of the fields where there aren't any tents. And we sat in a circle with our new friends. And we dug up the grass and we put the drugs on the earth and then we put the grass over the grass and then <laughs> and then we held hands and we prayed and we gave our lives to Jesus we gave our lives to Jesus Now, you know what, guys? At that point, I couldn't help it. I asked them, what was it that made you want to become Christians about this festival? And I thought, I'll help them. I'll give them some options, multiple choice. Was it the preaching and the teaching that was so deep and meaningful? 
and yet engaging and humorous and eloquent. Do you know what they said? They said no. Oh, you guessed that, did you? They said no. Do you know what they said? I promise you, they said it was the worship. It was the worship. We never thought that Christianity could be like this. They came to the meetings and their hearts were captured by the presence of God as God's people engaged with him. It's the activity of heaven. It's the activity of heaven. Worship is our greatest evangelistic tool. Not only that, but in in the Acts of the Apostles, we see on the day of Pentecost, they waited in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spilled out into the streets declaring the wonders of God in many different languages. What was it they were doing when they were declaring the wonders of God? They were worshipping. That's what declaring the wonders of God is. It's worship. As they did that, a crowd gathered from all over the known world. And they heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. And many were cut to the heart. And as a result, Peter preached the first evangelistic talk in the history of the church. And 3,000 came to faith. What was that? That was evangelism. Well, I thought it was worship. Guys, it's both. You see, in the church, we've been sold a lie in the last few years. We've been, we've been sold this lie that, that you, you know, I've, I've met so many young people who have been confused, who have said, you know, I, I, I just, I just sense that there's a call on my life for both worship and evangelism. And everyone's telling me that I have to choose. It's one or the other. And we've thought that worship's what we do in church and evangelism's what we do out there. No, guys. No. It's never meant to have been like that. The two belong together. They're two sides of the same coin. Last year, um, uh, my good friend Tim Hughes was here with us um, leading worship. And uh, I had the joy of being best man at Tim's wedding a couple of years ago to Rachel. And uh, a little while after their wedding, um, um, we went on a ministry trip to Australia and I was in the room next door to them. And uh, the rooms had quite thin walls and, and uh, I had this glass that I put to the wall. And, <laughs> and I heard them. I heard them. You know, I heard them going on, you know, and, and, it, and it was something like this. It was, you know, it was she, you know, he would say, oh, Rachel, I do love you. You're so lovely. Oh, I love your hair. I love your chin. I love, I love everything about you. I love the way you look. And Rachel said, oh, Timmy, Timmy. I love it when you sing. It sends a shiver down my spine. I, I love your little dimples. It was pathetic. And what was the most pathetic was it went on and on and on. After a while, I got bored and But you know, when you really love someone, you can't help but express it. You can't help telling them. 
But you know what? The other thing that Tim would do, and still does, is whenever I would get together with him, whatever we were talking about, the subject would go back to Rachel. I mean, we'd be talking, I'd be saying, hey, how did you feel that time of worship went? Oh, I thought it went all right. Oh, I thought Rachel's backing vocals were amazing. <laughs> oh, how did, you, how did you feel about your, your new song? What, are, are, you, are, you, are you feeling good about it? Yeah, yeah. Rachel thinks the third line in the second verse is great. <laughs> you know, after a while, I've been trying to find, you know, I've been trying to find, well, you know, things that I could talk about with him that wouldn't, you couldn't bring Rachel in. And I'd say things like, hey, mate, did you, did you see the football, the soccer, sorry, the soccer on the TV last night? And he said, I did. I said, did you see David Beckham? He's a great soccer player in England. I said, thank you. I said, did you see David Beckham? What did you think? And he said, yeah, yeah, he scored a great goal. Do you know there's something about him that reminds me of Rachel? But you know what, guys? That's the best evangelism. You see, no one has to say to Tim, Oh, Tim, you, you know, you really need to talk about Rachel. You, you really do, because you can't... It's, it's selfish to keep her to yourself. There might be people that might go through this life not knowing Rachel if you don't tell them. <laughs> don't, we, 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 don't, we don't have that issue with Tim at the moment. If we love him, it'll come out of every part of our being. We won't be able to shut up. We will bore the world to death about the one we love in the best possible way. That's what worship's about. Guys, I was actually going to talk about something completely different. Um, I'll just finish with this. I will just finish with this. Our greatest example of worship is Jesus. He's not only, worship is not only to him, for him and about him, but it is also through him to the Father. And we join in the worship of Jesus. Do you know at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we read that when the Magi came to Jesus, the the bunch of foreigners, they came to King Herod and they came saying to Herod, where is the one who is born to be king of the Jews? Big mistake to tell the king, where is the one who's born to be the new king, your replacement? Not a good idea. And they come with extravagant gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you know, some of us who used to be in school nativity plays or church nativity plays when we were little, and we remember the three kings with their little packets of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we think it's like that. Guys, it wasn't that when they got to the, um, the, the, you know, the, the border of Israel, they suddenly thought, oh my goodness, we haven't bought a present. Oh, let's go to the duty free. It wasn't like that. These were extravagant gifts. This was extravagant. They came to bring the new king of the Jews, extravagant worship. And what's the reaction in Herod? 
He says, when you find him, tell me. What does he say? That I too may go and worship him when he meant to kill him. Extravagant worship also has an equal and opposite reaction in some hearts. Those that cannot call him king because they want to stay king of their lives. Sometimes even under the guise of worship, they'll want to kill. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we see also this story of extravagant worship with the sinful woman who comes and pours extravagantly the perfume over him. What happens in Matthew's gospel when she does that? Hello, guys. What happens in Matthew's gospel when she does that? The very next thing, Judas goes to betray Jesus. Why does Judas go to betray Jesus? Well, one of the reasons the scripture tells us is because he was the treasurer and he wanted to keep the money and he was offended that Jesus allowed such waste. There is a deeper reason, and I want to read that to you. In the, uh, the time of the Lord's Supper, in Matthew's Gospel, we read this in Matthew 26, verse 22. Just before that, Jesus says to them, I t- the disciples, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. That means Peter said, surely not I, Lord. That means John said, you can't mean me, I'm the beloved disciple. James said, I'll get really cross if it is me. (laughs) Thomas said, is it me? I can't believe, I don't know what to think. I can't believe, is it me? (laughs) One after the other, they said, surely not I, Lord. But it wasn't, it wasn't 12 disciples who said that, it was only 11. Two verses later on, in verse 25, we read this. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Why does Matthew put that in? It's to tell us a story. The story is 11 disciples could call him Lord, and one couldn't, and that's why he betrayed him. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, the extravagant worship of the Magi led to Herod under the guise of worship, trying to kill Jesus because he wouldn't call him king. At the end, the extravagant worship of Mary Magdalene, the sinful woman, led Judas to try and have Jesus killed because he couldn't call him Lord. And Judas, how does he betray him? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he betrays him with a kiss. He betrays him with a kiss. An act of homage, an act of intimacy. You could call it an act of worship, but it wasn't. So Jesus goes to the cross, and on the cross, he offers to the Father perfect worship. Why? Because the worship of the Old Testament, central to the worship in the tabernacle and the temple, was sacrifice. So what does Jesus offer? He offers the one perfect sacrifice. And through Jesus' perfect worship of the Father on the cross, we too can come to worship. We too can come boldly before the throne. And as we do, as we gaze into his presence... As we touch the Holy of Holies. You know, it says, my last sentence, 
in Acts chapter 29, not Acts, in Exodus chapter 29, it says this. If anything touches the holy things that is not holy, it defiles the holy things. But if anything unholy touches the holy of holies, it becomes holy. And do you remember when the woman who was bleeding for years, ceremonially unclean, she touched Jesus, she was made clean. Why? Because she touched the holy of holies. When we come to worship, we touch the holy of holies. We are cleansed. We are made whole. And we become the people of his presence. And that is the hope of a broken and hurting world. That is the only hope. As the church of Jesus, we don't need to get smarter. We don't need to get more equipment. We don't need to be better looking. We need more of Jesus. We need more of Jesus. And then we'll be a light to the Gentiles. What I want us to do now, that was a little bit of a ramble in the end. But what I want us to do now is just wait for a moment on the Lord. We'll just wait for a bit and then we'll, we'll worship. I don't know what the Lord wants to do. And I've learned, if I don't know what the Lord wants to do, not to try and make something up. <laughs> you know, I think the Lord, yeah, doesn't really work. But just to wait for him and see. So let's not get religious here. Okay, we'll just relax in the paddock, as we say, and just wait for him. And Father, now, we invite you to move in this place. Father, do whatever you want to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we honor you. And Father, we say we only want to do what we see you doing. We only want to speak the words you give us to speak. And so we wait for you now. Let's just wait for a few moments.
think there's a few of you here that already you're just sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, just quietly, only if you are, only if don't, please don't if you're not, only if you are, just stand where you are as you just sense the Holy Spirit resting on you. Only if you are. Okay. And now, Lord, just ask, even as some of our brothers and sisters stand all over this room, Holy Spirit, would you fall on them? Would you, would you send your fire? More, Lord. More, Lord. We ask for more. Would you consume them? Would you, would you just send your fire to burn their hearts? Consume them with love. Now, as you see folks standing, it may be if you feel comfortable, just what a couple of people around each person, just, just maybe just lay hands on them. You don't need to do anything heavy. All right, we don't need just, just, all you need to do is, guys, all we need to do here is bless what we see the Father doing. All right, just bless what you see the Father doing. Right, this, this, this meeting, right now is not the time to initiate, it's the time to respond. Just bless what you see the Father doing. Thank you, Lord. Now more, Lord. Now more. All over this room. Release healing. Release anointing. Release visions and dreams. And Lord, release in a fresh way a passionate desire to pursue you. To pursue the Father. And Father, I ask, we ask, may the aroma of Jesus fill this room. The fragrance of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now that's the Lord resting on some of you now. Just, just let him do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. At the same time as we pray for these, our brothers and sisters, I, I just sense that there are some of you here that when I said that bit about worship and evangelism they belong together there are some of you here you have sensed and you've been you haven't been able to understand this two calls on your life two specific passions one is for worship with music the other is for outreach and evangelism and you have been confused and it's like just the one or the other for you doesn't seem to satisfy on its own and, and in, in the way that it's been done neither and, and it's like and it's like you've been puzzled and you've wondered am, am I being rebellious I honestly believe for some of you here God wants to release you into a new expression of worship that is worship for the streets that God wants to give you uh, lyrics and melodies and rhythms that will touch, that, that and it will be to God, for God, and about God, but that will touch the heart of a people who don't yet know Him. And if that's you, just stand up where you are. If you know that's you, and if that's you, just reach out your hand. There are a number of you. You know that's the calling, and and you want it to be all consumed with Jesus, but you want it, you long, you long for it to speak to a generation that, that sets the captives free.
And now, Lord Jesus, I just pray, by your Spirit, fall on these, our brothers and sisters. Fall on them. Lord, may your anointing come. Lord, I pray that you would give them rhythms and melodies and lyrics that will honor you and that will speak to a broken and hurting and lost generation. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint them with your fire, the fire of Pentecost, so that it would be both worship and evangelism, and no one will be able to know the difference. Spirit of God, move in this place. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Let him come. Let him come. Now, it's as if the the Holy Spirit's coming in waves right now. He's coming in waves. Let a fresh wave just hit many of you. If, If you're not being prayed for, maybe you could be praying. God is doing stuff now. He's releasing a, a new a new vision, a new vision. Now, it's okay, if someone falls down, just go down with them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Just keep praying for them while they're down there. And don't worry about folks. Some folk are shaking. Don't be-